Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, Bud, as we are uh, ever so fortunate to do, we'll thank our friends at New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Uh, people that we've been ever so fortunate to work with. And uh, as always, we thank them for making all that we do possible. But we, um, you know, we've reached the point of the year <laughs> where doing uh, extensive game previews or extensive game reviews when you're two and six is not a whole lot of fun. And uh, we're certainly going to look back at the NC State game, but we're not maybe, you know, we won't be doing our position by position uh, traditional review that if you're a longtime listener of the old cast, you are familiar with. Uh, we've got a ton of listener questions. We've got a couple, you know, different bullet points that uh, we both kind of came away from the game with. If you want to hear Bud's immediate thoughts of the game, always point you in the direction of the Instant Reaction podcast. And uh, Bud, why don't we just jump into these questions? We'll go back and forth on what we thought of the game, what we can take away from the season so far, what the future might look like. So for that, we'll jump into the Nolcast. I'm I'm totally there with you, but I because I did the instant, you know, it, it was my turn. I, I want to hear what 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 you thought, like like any kind of takeaways that either I didn't hit on, or you want to emphasize more that I did hit on, or just things that you saw in the game, or, or, or themes you see emerging. I, I want to pick your brain. So I wish, uh, and I put this on Twitter, and uh, I uh, didn't do the greatest job of vocalizing what was in my head as to uh, what I put out there, but I, I wish Travis J would have held onto that punt and not just for, Hey, uh, you know, uh, no, no ish Sherlock. Um, I would have taken a lot more from the fourth quarter if I thought NC state had a legitimate concern with losing that game. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I don't think Florida state would have come back, but um, I think it would have been a, a much better test as to some of the things that occurred. And if we can extrapolate them uh, moving forward, the team's so young. Some of the positions are so young that I, I put a value into garbage time this year that I don't any other year just because, hey, look, you know, you're getting a quarterback who desperately needs snaps, snaps in a college game, um, thrown against decent competition. That's stuff that other years I would probably just write off. But maybe I could have taken away a little bit more from garbage time had that uh, drop punt not occurred. And also, I don't, I'm not concerned like as though you're going to lose Travis J the player but that's a really good player who you need engaged and you need playing with a degree of confidence and that obviously bothered the kid to a to a level so hopefully he responds to that you know Warren Thompson's Warren Thompson drops the ball in the middle of his numbers and then makes a catch that nobody else on the roster could ever even dream or fathom of that's okay thank you <laughs> you know I want to give a I want to give a tip of the hat to Janarius Robinson that is a kid that has gotten better throughout the year at a level that I'm not sure that I thought was possible and uh, give credit. He's still not a, you know, all American or anything like that, but continual improvement, particularly against the run. And that's a, a credit to him. And obviously a guy that's, you know, taking something from, from the coaching he's getting. So that was kind of my thought. I mean, look, man, when, when you look out there and obviously at the time we didn't know if uh, 55 was suspended for a full game or a half game or whatever, but when you look out there and you see what your offensive line is first snap of the game, you just, I had no aspirations. I mean, I think I predicted the game something like 30 to 13. So it wasn't as though I was wildly optimistic about it, but if it's possible for me to watch a Florida state game with complete detachment as to the outcome, seeing what the starting five on the offensive line gave me as, as close of a, you know, dose of that as possible. There's no doubt. And I, I like that they went with with what they went with, right? If, if you need to send a message to Dante Lucas that that certain behavior is not acceptable, and and 
you know, a more consistent approach in, in how you work at the game is, is required, then, then, then you send that message. Send it in a year, which is already lost year. I, I, I think those are really good points. And, you know, we, we talked two episodes ago or three episodes ago, we, we played the game, would you want them back? Remember? And both you and I said, absolutely, I want J-Rob back if, if he wants to come back. Um, and we, you know, we got some, some heat for that on social media. And, and I understood the heat because he's not what you had hoped he would become. Uh, at the same time, unless you get Kando back, which I guess is possible as well, he's still going to be your best returning defensive end on, on, on the roster. And, and those, those signs of improvement are encouraging to me. So I, I, I was very happy to see that. And J-Rob's also a guy I, I like personally. I, mean, I always enjoyed interviewing him you know, as a recruit and now as a player. So I, I think the Travis J point is well-made as well. Well-made well, well made as well. Look at that. Uh, because you know, we, we, we know he's gone through a lot of tough stuff and, and the injury. And I, I started thinking late Saturday night, like, which dudes on this team care, right? Like which dudes on this team don't give a damn? If they win or lose anymore, and just you know, they, they instantly head to Twitter to talk about how they were a five star and, and all this kind of stuff, and, and you know, beat their chest. And uh, you know, I, I go back to like the Mike Arnold highlight video, right? Like one of the worst players to put on a jersey for a long time is posting a highlight video that like doesn't have the self awareness to realize like these aren't highlights, you know, like these are just barely average plays being made. Jay's a guy to me. Travis Jay is somebody who it bothers if he loses or if he messes up. I mean, he was shook. Jarvis Brownlee is somebody who I think bothers. It like absolutely, he is pissed off when he loses. Like I, I've seen that with him in high school. I've seen with, with that with him in seven on seven. And, and I'm glad that he still has that. You know, when, when, when he got beat earlier in a game, he was pissed at himself. You know, like you need more of that. You need more guys who, even though these games are being traded, they're treated as a pseudo scrimmage. You need more guys who it, it bothers them if if they lose. I I, I don't know about you. You, you I, I I know you know me, and and I I know you. Like we're both very competitive people. We need more of that on this team. Let me ask you this: Do you think that the staff should have anticipated that the defensive line would get as much pressure as it did? Possibly, yes, I, I do. I think they were actually possibly surprised by the performance that they got to get sweet a pit the week before uh, aspects of it. And I think that, you know, obviously you're losing Marvin or you've lost Marvin. Uh, Durden didn't travel. I'd be fine. You know, and there's probably some work, uh, whatever. I'll just keep my mouth shut. It looks like you got a decent core on the interior and I'm not trying to, well, <laughs> I don't know how much you're going to get out of true Thompson. Uh, I, I love the kid's effort and, you know, I just I think there's some limitations there, but there's some nice pieces there and they are starting to, uh, emerge on the interior. I thought Kane Doe was kind of hit and miss, got embarrassed in, in some run blocking, but did get after the passer more and has continued to develop. Yeah, I, I think the the defense can coach around the idea that they've got a an above average offensive line that can that can put some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, one of my frustrations with the game from Saturday night and really the entire season is uh, is some of the blitzing that we've done. I, if if we were uh, responding to a 2019 game, we would make the jokes that we've made about lack of coordination. I mean, there's there's some real, uh, but I think our blitzes are both clunky at time, uh, take time to get there, 
and then aren't necessarily paired with what we're doing elsewhere on the field defensively uh, at spots. And that's very frustrating to me. But uh, I do think that you're starting to see a defensive line emerge that can, um, you know, obviously, I don't think they're going to be throwing people around this weekend, uh, but I think you'll get a, con- a similar level of pressure against UVA and Duke, and you can somewhat have COVID and injuries withstanding. You can have a decent degree of confidence in that taking place. I, I would agree with that. Their blitz coverage right now is not very good. I am encouraged by what I'm seeing with the defensive line. Uh, and stop me if you've heard this before, but the defensive line, I don't know if I want to call it a strength, but could be less of a weakness next year than it was this year with with more coaching for these guys and, and more time in the system. Uh, linebacker is clearly a problem. On the one hand, I have seen improved play out of Emmett Rice this year. And so I think that is to Chris Marv's credit. On the other hand, uh, Lundy and Dix do not seem to know what they're doing still. And that's mm-hmm. discouraging. Yeah. At times, almost humorously so. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure either of them will be great in coverage. That's why you know, maybe we didn't totally buy in on the Lundy train because he's just the way he looks. It's hard to believe he, he can be a good coverage player. Uh, but both of them can be better coverage players than they already are simply by knowing where to go and knowing what not to do on certain plays. And, and they both had some, some rather uh, you know, embarrassing moments in that game. I think you may see, uh, I don't know, like my guys tell me they probably won't go after a transfer linebacker. Maybe they're able to incorporate Amari Gaynor more at the traditional linebacker role, although you know he also makes a lot of mental mistakes out there at times. Linebacker is, is still a problem for this defense, even if they think it's going to be fine in the long term. Um, I think your safety play was overall better in this game. You know, we, we talk about blitz coverage, and their blitz coverage to me was not good. But part of that, as you mentioned, I think very astutely here, is that the blitzes are not getting home. And so those guys are in some situations getting hung out to dry. Not all of them. Some of them are, are you know, poor job of, of, of matching and fitting on the back end. But some of them are, are most certainly just, you know, like, hey, the blitz has to get home at, at some point. Otherwise, you're, you're dead in the water. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was good to see Hamza return. Uh, credit to that kid. Also, you know, we can acknowledge that it's both a credit to him. It's a good sign of the culture that that kid comes back. And acknowledge that it is beneficial for him to put 2020 game tape uh, on, you know, on his record for the evaluation process. Um, Interesting to see what they do with him this weekend, Uh, but obviously a little bit of rust there, but at the same time, you've got a noticeable, you know, shot in the arm as far as a a talent injection at the back end of your defense, which was, uh, which was needed. So I don't know, man. I I don't know that I've ever had a Florida state game and, and obviously the Clemson games in the past couple of years, We've had no expectations for. Um, I don't know that I've ever entered a Florida State game this weekend that I will feel the way that I I have. Uh, we'll just see what we can take away from it, and you know maybe some of the things that they do in the secondary is uh, a feel for how they want to try to use Hamza. I've talked before that this defense is pretty reliant upon its safeties, uh, both in run support and how the they generally kind of frame things up, and it's. Uh, it's a noticeably better, you know, as you would expect. Hamza is a guy that if an NFL team checks off his injury history and feels comfortable with him, he's probably a, a guy that goes in the second or third round. Uh, that's going to make most defenses better. Certainly going to make this defense better. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what it looks like for Duke and Virginia. And I'm not just saying that, you know, half-assed sarcastically. Uh, it will be 
interesting to see. And I'm not one of these guys that thinks you need to make a change at defense coordinator, but I am a guy that wants this unit to start playing a hell of a lot better than it is. And uh, I will look at those two games and see what you could take away from it and see if having a little bit more of a complete unit. Also, I think uh, Renardo Green is one of the more underappreciated players in the, and that he would make a big uh, improvement or a big difference to have back uh, in the roster healthy and able to contribute. I, I would agree with that. All right, so let's go ahead and get into these questions. Most of the questions come from our Patreon, a couple from email and Twitter, if they are really good. Uh, this segment brought to you by the legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans. That's Shannon Young. That's Chad, 844-FSU-LOAN. Over 100, 100 listeners, man, have either got their loan or their refi through the legendary team. These guys are awesome with the Nolcast Loans program. There, there's, there's no doubt about it. Great customer service, great rates, great knowledge of the industry. And if you call them, you'll probably be able to talk a little bit about how bad this team is and, and, and commiserate a little bit. So uh, give them a shout. 844-FSU-LOAN. The market is pretty hot right now. And uh, if you're a realtor as well, they'll they'll hook your guys up. So let's go ahead and get into these. We have a lot of questions tonight, so let, let's we'll, we'll go ahead. And if uh, they, you know, if we have to expound on them, on them we will. If uh, if they're pretty answerable, then we'll, we'll kind of we'll buzz through them. Start off here. Uh, Morgan says, uh, "I saw a stat that freshmen and sophomores make up seventy three point seven percent of the FBS, of the roster, the largest percentage in the FBS. Is that true?" Uh, I saw this too. Actually, this was from the game notes that FSU sends out to media members each week. Technically, this is true. However, FSU is, they kind of play games with, with the numbers here, uh, as any good PR, you know, wing does. And, and, you know, Seminoles.com is PR. It's not journalism. So if you look at it, I, I, I was like, okay, where are they getting this from? And what I realized is they're, they're including the walk-ons. To me, that's not really a relevant stat. Right now, FSU has, I think, kind maybe 80 guys on scholarship total, but I, I think that's actually too high of a count if I'm if I'm reading this, you know, right. It, it's actually less than that. And senior-wise, they, they have very few seniors on, on this roster. Uh, Wilson, Love Taylor, Boselli, Johnson, Robinson, Williams, uh, Marvin is is now gone. He's still on scholarship. He's just, you know, injured. Leonard Warner, uh, Emmett Rice, Miko Dotson, Carlos Becker, and Hobson Nashville Dean. Uh, 12 seniors. And then they have uh, Sonny Samuel, Derek Brooks, Corey Durden, Robert Cooper, Kando, Scott, Kim McDonald. Uh, Terry's no longer on the roster. Uh, Helton, Wilson, Sheffield, and James Blackman, who's, is he officially off the roster? I, I guess so, although he may be finishing out the, the semester, but he's, you know, he's going to, transfer. So depending on whatever you want to count him. Um, freshmen and sophomores do not make up 73% of FSU's scholarship roster. I do not have information as far as the percentage of scholarship players who are accounted for in the freshman and sophomore ranks. Uh, but I will say this, if FSU is, is the, the largest percentage in the FBS, you know, including their, 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 uh, their walk-ons, and assuming that FSU didn't totally game these numbers by, you know, only using scholarship numbers from other, numbers from other places and using total numbers, including walk-ons from from these places, I think it's fairly safe to assume that FSU, yes, it is one of the youngest rosters in the country as currently comprised, and 
And we do have pretty good data that they are playing freshmen and sophomores uh, at a rate that is is far higher than uh, almost any school out there. And that's certainly a message that the school wants us to get out. And that's a true message. So I'll, I'll get that out for sure. Uh, yes, they are playing a ton of true freshmen uh, and true sophomores and, and redshirt freshmen in these games. All, all you need to do really is, is to watch. Uh, so yeah, a little bit misleading, but the, I, I think the intent of the message is, is, is correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're right. It's, it's something that it's one of the few things you can, you can look at and kind of bang your chest about. Obviously that is targeted to a certain audience out there. That's, uh, you know, not so much me, you or, or the average fan. Uh, they're trying to get the message out there that they're going to play who they play. I also took away, I don't think it's interesting. I just think it's, uh, you know, good, good PR work as well that Dillingham and the presser today says, no, we're not necessarily doing a youth movement. We're just playing the best players that we have on the roster right now. And that's happens to be our freshmen and sophomores. Um, I think you're sending a message there, both to your current roster and uh, anybody that'll listen out there that uh, is about to make a decision on, uh, on the college choice. Very good call uh, by you on that. Who do, who do we have next? Derek, Derek asks if I have a last-ditch effort planned to get in this weekend's game canceled. I've been proposing cancellation for weeks now, and Derek supports the movement. However, if the game is played, <laughs> what whiskey would you gentlemen uh, recommend? Thanks for all your work during this difficult season. Well, I appreciate it, Derek. Yeah, I've been banging the drum on this, uh, you know, Clemson cancellation. And uh, if it happens, then so be it. Obviously, you know, I, I want the game to be played. Uh, it has a tremendous impact on local business. Uh, it's, I think some of the figures that Florida State's trying to charge for tickets are disturbing and hilariously so, but uh, it's good for the athletic department to get as much money in the door as they can. But uh, yeah, for this fan base to not take another humiliation and, you know, to watch the team lose 59 to nine or whatever it might be, wouldn't be the worst thing. It wouldn't be the worst thing. Having said that, I hope the game's played. I hope you all get a chance to, uh, you know, go out. If, if you're in Tallahassee, enjoy these few college games that we have. And, uh, you know, if, again, if there ever is an opportunity that uh, you walk down the street and you see that stadium and you see, you know, some of the things that we all have uh, mentally associated with the, the program that has been so dominant and <laughs> fantastic and good memories that we've had in that stadium. If there's ever a chance that you get to walk into Doak, watch a game and be detached from the outcome, then maybe that's it. Maybe you get to enjoy the fact that you're there uh, on what is hopefully a, a great noon kickoff weather-wise and uh, you know, take advantage of the fact that we had college football when many times during this bizarre period of time that we're living in, uh, it looked as though we wouldn't. So that's, that's the best answer I can give you, Derek. I mean, dude, the, the answer for the drink is the old cast Bloody Mary and Matso. There's, there's no doubt about it. This is a noon game that requires a Bloody Mary. Uh, I, I would start with a uh, with, with the Nolcast Bloody Mary there at Madison Social, our, our longtime sponsor. Uh, tonight, I am having some wild turkey Kentucky spirit with uh, a little half cube in there. It's it's pretty solid. So the answers tonight might get a little bit loose. Sonny wants to know, do you guys have anything to say about Quayshawn Fuller liking a tweet saying hashtag champ to FSU or something like that? Do you think that can happen? We got a lot of questions about about this. I like Quayshawn. I've known Quayshawn for a long time. So maybe I'm biased here. But it's not a good look. 
because everybody is everybody on social media is suggesting, hey, go go hire Will Muschamp as, as your defense coordinator when you currently have a defense coordinator who pretty clearly you have either not bought in or are unable to grasp what they're asking you to do. And I say that because even bef- even when before Josh Griffiths was hitting the freshman wall, he was getting playing time and Fuller was not. Quayshawn Fuller. He is he's really not played. Uh, and that has to be sort of a a buy-in, grasping the system type thing, I think, because physically he has, you know, some ability. Uh, I have always kind of questioned if he should be a defensive end, but um, we, like we know the guy has has some ability, and I would say the coaching staff is not getting it out of him, and that's probably true. Uh, I would also note that, you know, he really didn't play a whole lot in prior years, so there may be a, a player-related thing going on right here. It's just not kind of lack of self-awareness, right? For to be a, a third stringer and, and doing that freedom, freedom of expression, right? Um, do you think must champ to Florida state can happen? Anything can happen. I don't have any indication that this is going to happen. I think must champ will probably have some better options to pick from if he does want to go be a DC somewhere. And who knows, he may want to go to the Nick Saban school of rehab for, for a year. He was Nick's DC, both at LSU when, uh, Saban won a title there and at LSU, or excuse me, and with the Dolphins uh, for, for that year. I also don't think that Muschamp wants to go be a DC for an offensive minded coach, right? So I, I would say that that's a, that's a low probability. But I, I can't say it's impossible. It's just not a good look for your third string defensive end to be, to be liking tweets like that. Even though clearly, look, Muschamp, did Muschamp recruit him at Florida? I don't think so. There's no way. Because Muschamp's been in South Carolina since, what, 2015, I think? Uh, I thought 2016, but yeah. Yeah, this is the fifth year. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And Quayshon signed in what, 18? Quayshon is a redshirt freshman. So Quayshon was a member of the uh, the 19 class. Quayshon did, did not at all get recruited by Muschamp at Florida. I assume Muschamp did recruit him some at South Carolina, if I recall. I just, I, I don't remember him being that interested in South Carolina. You got anything else to add on that? No, I wouldn't get your hopes up about Will Muschamp, nor am I particularly who would want that to happen. I'm, I'm always real hesitant about taking, about the immediate transition from head coach to coordinator. Um, I think if he does jump into it immediately, it would be with Saban actually, because it's just a, a different situation there. So Matt asked, with the poor play of the wide receivers this year, any chance they let Dugans go? P.S. I hope not. I really love that guy. In the mass, in the last pod, you mentioned the possibility of a retirement for a coach. I'm assuming that was Odell. Care to elaborate? Any reason to believe that Florida State opens up the playbook more with Purdy? They were cautious in the first half and then did more to use his arm in the second half. Was that more of a game state thing that we might not see again until we're deep into a Clemson beatdown? So... Why don't we go in reverse order here, bud? Uh, yeah, the first half of the Florida State game, and I'm not being hyperbolic here, uh, That I think the middle school offense that I was a part of had more, more plays put in it and had a bigger option. I mean, that was the most limited set of plays that I think you're ever going to see. Well, I shouldn't say ever. Lord knows I shouldn't say ever if, if this year's taught us anything, but... It would, it would be hard for me to see any type of situation where you're that limited. And, and they opened it up a little bit more in the second half, but not a ton, not a ton. 
I'll let you comment on that as well. But as far as a retirement, I mean, yeah, I'm not talking about forcing anybody into retirement, but man, being a position coach is a hard, hard job. Uh, and Odell Hagens has done everything in the world that's possible there. It wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, move into some kind of ambassador role or something where he felt, you know, he might have a, a more broader impact uh, on the program and the university as a whole. Okay, so I, I agree that's certainly you know possibility. Uh, nobody's told me that it's definitely going to happen, uh, but there were certainly there's been rumors of that for a couple of years. Uh, to the extent you want to buy into the rumors, I, I wouldn't completely dismiss him. But obviously, he's he's still here. As far as I know, Dugan's contract. This is the final year of his contract. So if Mike Norvell wants him to stay, he'll have to you know actively you know make that decision. I don't know that he has a ton to work with. At the receiver position, I know there's another question. I think it's actually coming up uh, by, by Brian that we'll get into this more. But I think that the receiver position is kind of lacking right now, especially without Terry. And the guys you're recruiting for the prior system do different things than, than what you want the guys to do in this system, although there's certainly some overlap. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's guaranteed that, that Dugans is here next year. I, I doubt you do either. I think you I think you gave a good answer on it. I, I don't really have anything else to add. Brian's question is interesting to me. And he says, what can you read into the offers FSU is giving out in the transfer market? I saw the offered receiver Drew Estrada from Dartmouth uh, and an offensive tackle from Holy Cross. I mean, Ingram, that tells me they're probably trying to improve their GPA, right? <laughs> I was going to say, it'll, uh, it'll be a noticeable uptick in a couple of things, yeah, if they, if they bring either of those kids on. But I, I do think that that Brian's question is interesting for this reason. Instead of like, hey, what what do you think of these guys? I, I think we can actually make some deductions about what this staff believes about its roster based on who it's offering in the transfer portal. As opposed, and you really can't do this necessarily with recruiting offers because those guys' impact is is so far, you know, like so far down the line on average. But transfer offers. For the most part, you are trying to, to, to get guys who can help you quickly. Uh, and in offering a very productive receiver from Dartmouth, who I don't think is an insane athlete based on, on the, the, like the Twitter highlights I saw of him, he's very productive, though. You know, I, I think that they want somebody who knows how to run routes, who can play receiver like a professional or like a seasoned college guy, and somebody who can be a reliable target for a Trevor Party Tate Rodemaker, Luke Altmeyer, or Jordan Travis next year. With that offer, I mean, I don't think he's an explosive athlete. I just think they're like, hey, we have got to get somebody who knows how to catch passes, who knows how to get open, especially on the underneath stuff, who knows how to run routes, who can be dependable, because we need to develop these quarterbacks so we could be a good team come 2022, 2023. And I think it's hard to develop those quarterbacks in game-type settings if the quarterbacks can't trust that the receivers are going to be where they are supposed to be. And we could talk about, hey, you got to coach them into that. And yes, you do. I agree. That is on coaching. But I think you also have to be realistic about what some of these guys are or are not going to be. Uh, and so getting somebody in here who can help immediately, I, I think is I think that's relevant, man. I, I do. Yeah, that that's that's something I would read into it there. It also tells me like they they feel that they need help at the receiver position, for sure. Which I you would you would agree with that, right? Uh, that that's something that I think it makes sense to take a transfer at. I mean, I'm for it. I, I, I'm very much for it. And yeah, I think it would. 
increase the level of the room. I think that there's an awful lot to get out of even a practice type situation with a kid like that. I think he is going to make it work. And uh, this is a, a, <laughs> a bit of a touchy subject, but uh, defensive backs don't like getting beat by white dudes. Uh, I'll be real honest with you. And uh, if you've got a guy who at practice is, uh, is pushing you and, and making you work as hard as possible, I think there's only only good things are going to come from that. And uh, the kid's a decent athlete, a Strata kid out of Dartmouth. Obviously, not somebody that's going to come in and and uh, rise to the top of the the roster because of his like three cone time or his forty or whatever else. But uh, I think there's a lot there. Uh, kind of a, a solid possession wide receiver who's familiar with uh, with some of the tougher aspects of the game and a guy that would lift uh, lift the the practice habits of of many uh, on the other side of the ball and, and in his own unit. I think that would be nothing but a solid ad. Uh, they also offer, offered an off to tackle from Holy Cross. Uh, I think it's very obvious that this team needs a tackle. I'm not totally convinced Robert Scott's a tackle long-term. I know you, I think you disagree with me on that, but I, I'm not totally sold. That's his best position. I still think Darius is probably better suited to play guard long-term. If you get Love Taylor back, who is a, a solid player. I don't think he's anything special. I don't think he's like an NFL guy, no doubter type type player, but you know, he's a decent player. Um, and you get another, another tackle in there. It improves your tackle depth, uh, but it also maybe gives you another starter. So yeah, that, that's what I would read into that. I think the receiver receiver offer is kind of instructive though. Um, not, they don't want somebody who can be a game breaker. I think it's just, you know, they, they, they really need some, some help in some other areas. All right, so let's go ahead and take uh, let's take Ryan's question. He says, uh, "Say Norvell signed his FSU contract and had a miraculous epiphany of the circumstances surrounding this season, both on the field and off. What would he have done differently from day one? So he can't go back and not take the job, obviously. So this is after he signed the contract. The after they signed the contract, yeah. I mean, it's hard to answer this question and not." Um, address the idea of personnel and maybe pieces of the roster that he would have parted with. I mean, that's, it's hard to go back and say that a whole lot of action would be different. Do you have a, a, an honest conversation with some of the pieces of the defense and decide that this year might be better for all parties if they go different ways? Yeah. I mean, I think that's possible. I, I don't know that there's a whole lot that would have been done differently because there's just not a whole lot that could have been done differently. I mean, Assuming that COVID is still involved and Norvell didn't go back and wipe that away miraculously with this uh, with this circumstance that we're discussing, other than roster management, bud, maybe I'm just swinging and missing on on something here. Well, roster management, and I would say this: he would have a, a focus on Jordan Travis from day one, as developing Jordan Travis and probably building his roster around it. That's that's probably the with what he knows now. That is probably the one thing from a schematic standpoint that I imagine he would have done differently. I, I think those those are good things. Um, I, I would give you two. I, I think he would have hired somebody else to run recruiting. I think Mike's probably pretty happy with with who he got at most of the uh, most of the spots there. But I, I I continue to believe that he swung and missed several times at the uh, the guys that he probably wanted to get to run recruiting. So you know that that's a spot. I wonder if that if that doesn't turn over, you know, this year or next. And also uh, he would have he would have used his words differently. With with the Marvin Wilson situation, people are going to forget this season for the most part. It's COVID. 
we're going to look back on and say, man, what a, what a weird year 2020 was in our life. But nationally, what's Mike Norvell known for right now? He's not known for this bad record. He's, he's known for, for, for that stuff, right? Like if you talk to people who don't follow Florida State super closely, that's what he's known for. So I think he would absolutely take that back. Personnel-wise, I mean, like if he had known how the season was going to play out, then we talked about this in the preseason. Remember, like, do, how do you balance needing to go youth movement, but also wanting to try to win something, given the fact that you do have some guys who have the potential to be special in a Marvin Wilson, in a, in a Tamari and Terry, in, in a Hampson Azrael team. You had some nice pieces here, and through a confluence of events, most of them have not worked out. Maybe he would have just said, "No, hey, you guys, it's better if you if you go elsewhere." Um, that's a tough call to make, a really tough call to make. And if he makes that call, and the team goes two and eight, then people are going to be up his ass about it. So, you know, that's that's not easy. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I always appreciate your input on the uh, recruiting department. You've been consistent, if uh, if nothing else, when it comes to that subject matter. Yeah, I thought that was a bad hire. Uh, Josh says that hindsight is twenty twenty, but given how this year is shaken out on the field, let's try to leave out the COVID aspect. Is it safe to say we've been better off as a program long-term had we allowed Willie to coach a year three or even a four, knowing the lack of continuity seems to have broken some of these players? Not saying Willie was the answer, but knowing what we know now, is it better for any football program to just stick with a bad head coach for three to four years? That way a successor comes into a more advantageous situation. Man, Josh always asks some questions that make you think, right? There's no doubt in my mind, even if Browles was going to leave, that this program would be better today if they had kept Willie Taggart for this season. Long term, I think there were some really concerning things about what was happening with Willie. And I understand why they decided to make the move. The move is not necessarily the wrong move based on you know, one set of results in a COVID season. And they made the move because booster pledges that had been pledged were not being fulfilled at an alarming rate. People were checking out on the program. They didn't make the move because you know, Willie was going to go six and six or, or you know, whatever he was going to go. They made the move because of things behind the scenes that were really concerning to the administration as far as organization, I'm not talking about behavior stuff, uh, and because of the complete lack of support. That doesn't really have any bearing on the season this year. It's a tough question to, to answer. Certainly, I think a lot of these guys don't think Norvell is their leader. And some of those dudes are off the roster now. And I think some of them will be off the roster in the future. And he absolutely deserves a chance to get his roster together. And I feel like that the timeline just keeps getting pushed back because now the NCAA has, has uh, extended the dead period you know, into April. Right, because COVID cases are just spiking like crazy all over the country right now. Is it better for any football program to just stick with the bad head coach for three to four years? That way, a successor comes into a more advantageous situation. If you absolutely know, if you absolutely know, then I think it's better to just rip the band aid because you're going to have to start the rebuild at some point and you might as well just start it now. That's if you know. If you have any kind of doubt, I think you keep the guy. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think the years uh, that he's been there matters, and it's always easy to go back and look at <clears throat> how things played out and other people that may come to market or other jobs that, you know, may come to market. I don't, you know, I, I can't second guess them firing Willie with the direction that the program was headed and some of the things that were um, 
just playing out in front of them. So I feel like it's kind of disingenuous for me to go back and then second guess that decision at this point. But I don't know that some of these players that are broken are necessarily broken at this point because of lack of continuity or that it would have been solved by having the same type of situation this year. I mean, I, I think we would have been exceptionally critical of the coaching. I don't know that any of these guys, for particularly on the defensive side of the ball, were receiving coaching that was making them better. I don't know that a whole lot of that has changed there with the exception of, of a few individuals, some of which we've already talked about tonight. You know, it, it, again, I, I'll echo what you said. If you know, you know, you've got to move on it. But it will be interesting to see how long some of these guys have a, a, a shelf life. And I was quite honestly, I was uh, surprised that USC let go of Muschamp uh, when they did. But I guess, you know, if five years have, have transpired and you feel like you got what you got, and then you make a move. But I would, you know, uh, I, we're not going to turn this into the Gamecock podcast, but I think there's an awful lot of South Carolina fans that are having that brief window of time where guys like Gilmore, Clowney, and, and uh, LaMarcus uh, uh, Lattimore are running around, and, and maybe that's the expectation of the program, where if you look at the program from a broader 30- or 40-year perspective, that's not what the program is. To flip that on the coin, look at this program from a broader 30- or 40-year perspective, and maybe you can get an idea as to why they, they moved on Willie as quickly as they did. Will Muschamp's the second-best coach South Carolina's had in 40 years. Maybe the, uh, maybe the third, but I mean, like their winning percentage in SEC play without Muschamp is 430. His was 440. You know, like he, he's not much worse than, than, than what they've had there uh, as, as some of their best guys. Let's uh, take our, <laughs> let's take some time to thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized. Congruity can help you out on a variety of fronts for your business. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized with meaningful outsource HR for companies just like yours. Congruity's human resource and compliance solutions are designed to maximize employee productivity, improve employee relations, and reduce employer risk associated with personal administration. Uh, give our good friend Matt Lewis a call at 844-247-4100 or email him directly at Knowles at congruityhr.com. Again, N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. Let's take this one from, uh, from Corey. He says, hey, Bud Ingram, I don't have much to say or even anything really poignant to ask. Uh, we may be two and six on the books, but the Nolcast will always be eight. No, deep in the recesses of my heart. That being said, if you could do anything on this cool November weekend other than watching FSU play Clemson, what would it be? Oh, man, that is uh, like, are, are we proposing alternatives? I No BS. I, it should be awesome weather this weekend in Tallahassee. I would love to just go hang out at Matso and, and watch a bunch of games. Like that's that's not a bad idea. That is a <laughs> that is a great option. Um, I would I would always love to go to Township or Matso myself. I, I, and I just go kick about the mountains of of Western North Carolina or maybe Southside Virginia uh, if I could just go do anything for for sixteen hours and and not be thinking about college football. Corey, I appreciate your message and. Uh, the Nolcast being eight and O deep in the recesses of your heart is both cheesy and endearing. So thank you, sir. Very much appreciate your support. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and take this one from Adam. Adam says, how worried are you that quarterback Luke Altmyer showed up at the old Miss game? Certainly saw some, some nice moments of offense. 
I would feel like Florida State uh, is incredibly hindered by some of the rules and the lack of being able to have people on campus and things like that. I just wish Altemeyer was considering some school that was not otherwise in his own state. Otherwise, I would think you would almost have locked this kid in by default based off how much exposure he would get to another program. Uh, obviously, him being able to go to, uh, to an Ole Miss game is something that uh, can easily transpire outside the rules of normal recruiting. Yeah, I mean, it's a concern of mine. Anytime you got an in-state kid, quarterback, uh, granted, he, you know, he may be in, in Starkville, but that's not necessarily going to preclude a Mississippi kid from choosing to go to the University of Mississippi. Uh, it is a concern. I, I won't, and not just that he went to this game. I mean, you look at the two different offenses, you look at... They just, they just scored 60 or something. And, and Yeah, uh, some of you may say, I wouldn't want to play for Lane Kiffin. Other people play for Lane Kiffin and score 59 points on the regular. I mean, that is a interesting, fun offense. So label me concerned. Yeah, I, I think it is concerning. The one thing I would note is that I do not believe is the same thing as the Sam Howell situation, uh, because I don't think there's anybody on FSU staff who is actively telling him not to come to Florida State, as I think may have been the case uh, with the Sam Howell recruitment. Oh, my God. Yeah. By the wow. way, interesting game this weekend. If you guys want a little uh, little action tip, and, and I have been terrible this year, i, I I'm beating the number extremely well and then losing those games in which I beat the number. But I don't know if you guys caught this or not. So FAU unders this year have been pretty good, pretty friendly. FAU switched up the quarterback. They went to more of a running quarterback against FIU and they started running some extremely aggressive tempo. Looked a lot like what Willie was doing at Oregon. And they they put it on FIU. Did, did you happen to see who FAU plays this weekend? Oh, yeah. It's the uh, the meeting of the minds. Uh, I mean, I've talked about friends of mine that have been on a staff that coached against UMass early in the year. Um, wow. So, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun to watch. Do you watch. think listeners know who's coaching UMass? I, I imagine about 65% of our listeners probably know who's coaching UMass. All right. So, it's Walt Bell it, for, for the 35% who maybe don't know who's coaching UMass. I do buy into the idea that sometimes coaches run it up on other coaches they don't like them. We saw Kirk Ferentz take three timeouts against against PJ Fleck and Minnesota because Fleck left his starters in to try to and try to score at the very end there, uh, despite the fact they were down thirty five nothing. What what what's the score going to be in this game? The the over under was forty seven when it came out there. I'm like FAU might score forty seven by itself. I, I can't imagine Willie not trying to embarrass Walt Bell. I think sometimes things just make sense when you look at them. And that's one of the things that it's better not to overthink. I would keep an eye on the Georgia Tech-Clemson game as well, as long as those two staffs are composed as they are. Um, now, Georgia Tech's never going to be, at least in the foreseeable future, a real rival of Clemson. But you know, Dabo Sweeney has a chance to throw a last-minute touchdown against Georgia Tech. I think he's going to do it, and I'll leave it at that. Can't, uh, can't, can't be lifting weights on the field, man. Don't, don't mess with the head coach's field. Do not divot the field. And you know what? I think that's a reasonable expectation as well. So I would agree. Replace your divots, send your divots. Can't blame you on that one, Dabo. All right. Why in the hell would Norvell, would Norvell put in Tate Rotomaker? Well, I, uh, I actually mentioned that I thought this was going to happen in, I think, the game preview. And that is uh, 
something that I heard heard some chatter about. I mean, they're they're look, they want to get a feel for what both of these kids look like. And Rotomaker had some nice moments. He also threw a corner route that I don't know if the ball slipped out of his hand or what, but that was one of the more strange looking passes I've seen anybody throw. And then, you know, we're extrapolating from a small sample size, but a guy has a propensity to look, look at a wide receiver and throw an interception. So maybe you have a better idea as to what he looks like. Maybe Rotomaker is a really intelligent player who makes the most out of his moments in practice and earns the right to take a, a series. I mean, I can tell you that that's my personal opinion as to how that happened. Uh, he's a smart player, finds situations in practice where he can stand out. He's made the most of them. I don't have a problem with that, bud. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, you, there's nothing that Chubb has done that means he's the forever quarterback. And good good for, for Purdy to know that he's got to continue to work and good for Rotomaker to practice at a level that pushes for game time. I mean, that's a... I, I understand that fans respond to things in, in game and maybe a lot of people still have a sour taste in the mouth at the fact that Blackman was introduced in, in last week's game, but that that's how football's played. And until you've got a guy who makes the position his, other people are going to get a shot at it. I, I totally agree. Um, he's on the team. He's a freshman. He has more experience than, 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 than Chubba has. He almost, I want to say he almost certainly, he does know more of the playbook than, than Chubba knows. There's no doubt in my mind. He has practiced a lot more since Chubba got hurt. I mean, man, I, I think that's... What message are you sending if Jordan Travis is out, James Blackman is transferring, and you give Chubba all the snaps? You know a message I think you're sending to Rodemaker if you do that? Transfer. And that's not something you need right now. You need quarterback depth. And it is way too early to judge, in my opinion, who's going to be your guy, whether, whether, whether it's Chubba or, you know, or Rodemaker. Um, so continue to evaluate them in games, in my opinion, is is the correct move. Not that this fan base is uh, is one that is uh, not going to find a reason to melt down otherwise, but watch the guy that we just talked about make a decision to go somewhere else than Florida State and then watch Rotomaker transfer away and see how people would respond to a situation like that. I mean, you, you simply you have to respond to people in the way that they practice, and at the same time, you have to actively manage your position. And encouraging a kid to stay with you, continue to practice at the level that he is, is part of managing a roster. So that's, uh, I'm not like directing frustration with you, Sam. I think it's a, a legitimate question, but that's why Tate Rotomaker got snaps. Well, let's, let's take Caleb's and Stevens. They're, they're, uh, they're fairly related. Caleb asks, with what you've seen so far from the youth movement, which players stand out to you as possible future stars? Steven's question. Since the team is now mostly made up of underclassmen, are the freshmen on this team good enough with enough playing time in the next year or two that they can be good players? Or is the ceiling on most of these guys just pretty low? You can see why I combine these, obviously. So some guys who stand out to me, I, I think maybe how many of these dudes we can, we can answer with uh, could be the answer to, to Steven's question. Honestly, I, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw from Purdy. I, I liked his ability to run around and, and make some plays. I know it was garbage time, but we're, we're looking for, for small victories here. And uh, I liked that on a bigger stage, he was able to show largely what he showed in high school. So I, I think he has the ability to be a good player, like, like Steven asked. A superstar, not going to go there yet, but a good player down the line, certainly. We know this staff thinks Lawrence Tofilly can play on a level that others cannot. He was not available for this game. They didn't 
expound upon that as to why. Uh, I'm guessing for the same reason that Durden was not available, but that's just a guess. You see other guys, receivers. I, I think the chance that you hit on either Brian Robinson or Kentron Poitier is decent. We'll see. Uh, I'd like to see those guys get more playing time down the stretch, certainly, but it seems like Ontario Wilson and Keyshawn Hilton and, and Warren Thompson are, are doing more of the right things now. Uh, so that's at least somewhat encouraging. The young tight ends, I'm, I'm not really buying in on. Uh, I don't think a whole lot of, you know, Rector, Douglas Boatwright tight end, I think still kind of a black hole on this roster. There's a reason you're bringing two more in. I, I like the West kid a lot that, that they're bringing in. I think he's actually a going to be a pretty good player for them and, and one of the better three stars out there uh, who 24-7 actually has him rated as a pretty high three star. I mean, can Darius Washington still be a good play, player for you? Maybe I'm crazy, but I think so. I think Robert Scott can be a good football player. Like Robert Scott could be a starter on a good team if he keeps developing at, at this pace. Schrader, I haven't seen enough of yet. Uh, just you know, sticking with the freshman here. Chaz Neal, Jalen Goss, uh, what are they, redshirt sophomores, but uh, neither of those guys can play or, or will, will be players for you. Maurice Smith, they like a lot. Can he be a good player? At, at any other position other than center, I would say no, but he plays center. So possibly. Being, being quick and smart at center, for the most part, can, can really help you out quite a bit. Defensive end-wise, I haven't seen enough of T.J. Davis, obviously. Other than that, not really high on that group. McClendon has played a little better than I thought he was going to play this year. Uh, Griffiths, my guess, is fresh from the wall there. We'll see you know, if his habits can be mature enough. There's some pieces on this roster who, who could be good players down the line. The issue is more of these guys are going to bust than fans want to hear about. Because this is a transition class, and the 2018 class was also a tra- transition class. So next year's class is going to be compri- comprised of two transition classes, and then Norvell's first full class, in which he didn't get to meet in person about half of the guys on that he's going to sign. That's going to set this program back significantly. That's why we're saying this is a legitimate five-year rebuild. I mean, this is year zero. Hell, if you tell me it's year, year negative one, I don't... I don't disagree with you because I thought it was year zero before all this COVID shit happened. Um, but there are players on this roster who, who can be good players for you. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned most of the kids. I, I'd put Stephen Dix out there. I'd also put, uh, try to get Stephen Dix on the same. Uh, do you remember the stretching routine that they had for Jeff Luck during his first year? I mean, I would I would try to get that kid to take yoga, to do intense stretching. I mean, I just think he's got a get a little more agile. There's times where it looks like he's got cement blocks on his feet. And I say that, you know, the guy's a hell of a football player. I'm not being overly critical of him. I just think you've got to do some things there uh, from an agility standpoint uh, to get the most out of him. But yeah, I mean, there's some nice players. Uh, I'm not saying Sidney Williams is going to be a superstar, but he played a hell of a lot better on Saturday night than he did the previous Saturday. That's for sure. I mean, uh, noticeable uptick. So uh, maybe you look there and and see what and how that gets developed. But yeah, most of the kids you you touched on as as going through. And Travis Jay's not a true freshman, but uh, that's a kid that if if you're good in two to three years, it's hard for me to not think that Travis Jay is one of the leading elements on that defense. So I would put as much focus on him, uh, try to get as much focus from him 
uh, on the program. And I'm not saying that's like a kid that's, you know, running around doing things outside of practice. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that that guy is rare and polish that diamond as much as you can, because there's not a whole lot of diamonds on this roster to be polished. All right. Uh, so last question of the night. This is interesting. This is from Michael. He asks, let's pretend you're in the movie Kazam. Is that the Shaq movie? Yes. Okay. I don't think I ever saw it, but uh, you rub the magic lamp. Shaq the genie uh, pops out uh, and grants you three wishes. The first two wishes you see on, or you use on a million McDonald's hamburgers and whatever other dumb wish that kid wasted them on in the movie. Your final wish, you spend changing the outcome of one of the many unfortunate events over the last eight years that has led FSU football to the abyss we're currently at. What would you choose and why? Some examples would be NC State 2012, Showtime, a season with FSU, Jameis's incident, the Oregon game, Willie being hired, Willie being fired, Walt Bell and all his glory, Vatech 2018, Miami 2018, COVID, Georgia Tech 2015, the FSU version of the kick six, Georgia Tech 2020, Chubba breaking his collarbone during the first scrimmage, DeAndre's broken kneecap in 2017, Alabama game, uh, the 2017 Alabama game, Jimbo leaving, although we probably wouldn't have won a single game in 2018, puts in parentheses, the extremely frust- uh, frugal slash stingy booster association. Thanks for all you do. And go Knowles. bonus question between the two of you, who could chug a beer faster? I drank a beer with both of you before the VTech game. And my money is on Ingram. Uh, I feel as though he took three sips and that pint was empty. So second question first, a- Ingram could put him down, man. And I, I'm, I'm not a small guy. And I feel like I, I, I could drink beer with the best of them, but Ingram can throw him down. No amateur on the subject matter when it comes to having a, having a drink or two. Um, it's a good question, Michael. I, and, you know, I go with one immediately and I realize that none of these things, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't touch NC State 2012 because I feel like maybe that messes with 2013 and 2013's nothing is ever going to change 2013. It's maybe the best season that any college teams had in the modern era. I'd leave it alone, put it in glass, appreciate it. Don't touch it. This may seem like a minor thing. I would, I would, let me put it this way. When I go back and look the first major red flag of Jimbo Fisher's decision-making and wondering what the hell are we doing? Why are we doing that? Is the Showtime series that went against everything that that guy thought, practiced, believed, preached. It was a complete deviation from course. And unlike those people at, uh, At Netflix, I appreciate the Showtime crediting the Nolcast, although I don't think they ever officially used any of our product. Uh, but uh, it didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me why we were having a reality TV program, why we were staging things at a men's clothing store so that the defensive end could talk to the backup tight end or whatever the hell. It was just a bizarre distraction introduced to a program from a guy whose whole mantra was to eliminate distractions. That's a really good one. Um I also have one he didn't list, and there's a lot of things here. The back-to-back AD hires with presidents mm. who wanted to play mm-hmm. AD. Oh, that's a great one, right? Yeah. I mean, T- TK had Spetman, and we criticized Spetman a lot, and the decisions he made were not good. And I don't think he had any kind of forward-thinking leadership at all. But he was also in there as a placeholder, so your president could kind of pretend to be the AD. So with that said, I, I would say it's that and then the, the hire of the next AD who we know did not get along with Jimbo at all. Uh, 
Another one could be making Jimbo wait on putting the practice fields in. Because if, if he doesn't get him put in and then change his mind on where he wants him and then like make a lot of the important people over there, boosters, administrators think like this guy is just impulsive and irrational to say, hey, I want, I want the practice fields here, you know, spend the half million dollars on it or whatever. It was a bunch of money. Remember, it wasn't half million. It was, it was a good amount of money. I think, if, I think it was more than a million dollars, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And that, that really kind of rung, that kind of made the boosters pissed off. They're like, wait a second. We're not averse to spending. You have a top five assistant salary pool in the country, but we're not. We don't have unlimited dollars. You can't just decide, hey, I want to. I want to have the practice fields here one day, and then rip them all up. And no, here's where I want to put this, and, and here's where I want to put the IPF and all, all this kind of stuff. Maybe if they somehow delayed that, that decision doesn't happen, and then some of the guys who you know, don't don't trust him and think he's impulsive don't think that quite as much, uh, and maybe the, the relationship there is a little bit better, but I, I, to me, it goes back to the AD who maybe could have influenced that decision and said, Hey, this is a little bit, you know, this is a little bit hasty. Are we sure this is the right spot for this? Could also maybe have leaned on him and said, Hey, like you can't keep all these shitty assistants that nobody else is going to hire when you leave for yet another season. Like these guys are not doing a good job relative to the, the caliber of athlete that you have on this team. Uh, but they didn't have the athletic leadership from the top for that. So I, I think the AD hire, the, the top-down thing, would, would be something that I, I'd be interested in. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot to be said there. That cheating? I'm sorry? Like, uh, is that cheating? I guess if you pick the head man, you can kind of just do, do the trickle-down decision tree. Um, well, it's valid. I mean, I, I would also say it's really complicated, too, because Jimbo didn't get along well with anybody. Um, they didn't get along. And that the AD really was never given... The full, you know, the keys to the car and, and let run, run the athletic department either, which is kind of what you were talking about uh, with your first sentence there. So I, I think that's true. And I don't think we're necessarily like that all of the blame in that situation falls on any one person's feet. Man, Ben, uh, I don't know about you. I, I enjoy doing this show quite a bit. So let's go ahead and end it there. Really appreciate all you guys listening to us. Five stars on iTunes if you can. We're also on Spotify. Stitcher, Google Podcasts. You can even play us on your Amazon Echo if you want. So that's pretty cool. Have us on in your kitchen, if, especially if you're not commuting to work. Just put, a, put us on throughout the house. Let the entire family listen to the Nolcast and grab all their iPhones and give us those five-star ratings as well. So with that, hope you guys have a good one. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.